Take your Bible. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I often say this, but this is a familiar passage of Scripture. If it is not, it needs to become one in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading with verse 10 and go through verse 20 and then uh, kind of seek to make some application to where we are today. So the Bible simply says, Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. One old brother read that passage, the willies of the devil. Have you ever, has the devil ever given you the willies? That you might be able to stand against the willies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the burning arrows that are released at us by the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then Paul, in the middle of all this, kind of turns this personal. And it's to that personal end of things that I want us to look at this afternoon. He says, and for me. So you're going to do some praying. I know you will, because praying is like breathing to those of us that know Jesus. But Paul says, while you're praying all of these things, would you pray for me? Paul, in other places, not just Paul, but the gospel writers said, um, those who wrote the, um, the letters part of the New Testament wrote words like this, pray for me. Paul, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, pray for me. Uh, the author of Hebrews said, Pray for me. There's nothing wrong with saying, pray for me. But Paul said, and for us, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, or for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So I want to talk about all this in a, in a brief time this afternoon, but then I want to deal more with verse 19 where it simply says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now we're living in perilous times. And, and it's not like I have a profound thought or I got some, some, something fresh. I've never heard... God speak like out loud. God does speak to me, by the way, and He always speaks with a Kentucky accent. He always has that accent in my mind. He speaks to me in my heart. I've never heard God speak in an audible voice. 
But it's like the other day, not all that long ago, I mean like weeks ago, I, I was looking at all that was going on in Washington, D.C. Do you ever look at that? And I'm thinking about all that's going on, especially the last three years since we went through this whole COVID thing. And then we went past January the 6th. You'll remember that day. And you'll remember the election that we had in 2020. And you'll remember all of that. And I'm not going to get political at all this afternoon, just to say that there are times when I, I get so aggravated and maybe, maybe more even disturbed about that, than that about what's going on in our government, what's going on in our country. And it was like God spoke to me and it's like what you see is not really what you see. The conflict that we have in our country is more than uh, dealing with transgendered children. Huh. Who could have ever thought of anything like that? It, it's more than seeing the breakdown of the modern marriage, the, even the redefinition of marriage. It's more than the battles we all fight in our states. Missouri fights it, Kansas fight it. Now it's not the Supreme Court has ruled something different than the standard for Roe versus Wade, which I am so thankful for that. But now the battle continues in other places. It's not just those things. It's like beyond that, there is another level beyond our federal government that is pulling strings in Washington, D.C. You know, now we got a crazy man in the pulpit this afternoon. But no, folks, think about it. Think about what the Bible says right here. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's not about who wins elections. I think you ought to vote. I encourage you to vote. I think as Americans, it's part of our Christian responsibility to do that. But it's not about who wins elections. It's not about what we see, obviously, on the evening news, it is about something else altogether. We're in a wrestling match with flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Even down to this, he said, spiritual wickedness in high places. Can you sense it? There's no other explanation. Paul had experienced it himself. Now, you know that when he was saved on the road to Damascus, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. How would you like that? You know, you come to know Christ, nobody wants anything to do with you. And God says to Ananias, he is a chosen vessel. Paul is a chosen vessel to me. And I'm going to show him what great things he's going to suffer. Like you've been saved to suffer. You say, no, I'm not in on that deal. But Paul did suffer. And I think, clearly, this is... This is God's Word, and this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I think Paul was in a battle with truth. Obviously, from a Jewish standpoint, it's like, how do you convince someone that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah? We are dealing with what is true. What is truth? How do you take the Old Testament and apply it to the New Testament? What is truth? So he said, Paul was saying himself, you better... West Haven Baptist Church, you better put on the belt of truth. Because a great question in our world today is what Pilate asked of Jesus, what is truth? So, truth is redefined. Put on the belt of truth. Put on this breastplate of righteousness. I think by that, 
what he is saying here is like righteousness on two fronts. I think a lot of people think about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. It's like, okay, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live for God and I'm going to live a holy life for God. And that's good. That's wonderful. But if you don't put on the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. It's not my holiness. It's His holy, holy, holiness. It's the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so much so that when God looks at me, He doesn't see the sin of Monty Schinkle. He looks at me through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm putting on the... Are you with me? Do you head like this? This is the toughest time of the day to preach. The breastplate of righteousness. Then He says, you put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Paul... He was contending for the truth. He was living a godly life. And no one proclaimed, I don't think writing in God's Word, if you read Romans chapter 5, you realize Christ died for us. All of this was done for us. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, all of those things. This is where I stand in Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the belt, uh, the, the shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, I mean, I don't know what kind of shoes they're going to wear in Germany tomorrow. But I'm satisfied that when they left Kansas City, when they, those, those people, you know what I'm talking about, when they left Kansas City, whoever's in charge, their equipment manager, made sure that they had the right shoes with them. And I've got a grandson that's 18. He's a senior at Jeff City High School. They are, well, let me just brag, they're ranked fifth overall in the whole state going into the basketball season. Now, that really doesn't matter. It's how you come out of the basketball season. So they're ranked fifth. Nelson is six foot eight. He didn't get it from me. Or maybe he got it all from me. But I mean, that boy has more shoes than his grandmother has. And she's got so many shoes, I can't get to the closet. I mean, Betty's got all kinds of shoes, but Nelson's got more. And, I, and he will look at your shoes and tell you what model they are and style. Shoes are important. Well, in our walk with Jesus Christ... Our shoes are important. You know why? Because the enemy in the trenches is going to push us and push us and push us and say, you have no right to claim the standing that you have. You're not godly enough to have the standing. I know what's going on in your life. I know what, what's happened in your life. And the enemy is going to push you and push you and push you. And he'll try to take all the peace away from you. That's why he says, put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then he says... Take up the shield. Take up the shield because you ever watch Braveheart? Those arrows are in the air. They're burning arrows. They're coming in. You don't really know where they're coming from. Sometimes you do come from, know where they come from. Sometimes they come from that person's closest to you. Sometimes they come from a member of your family. Sometimes you think of a good friend. Why in the world did you say that to me? But the enemy is releasing arrows. And if you don't have a shield, they're going to smite you. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. I have to do this. I want to think right. I want to think godly. I want to think properly, even as a pastor. And then after you, know, after you do this, you put on the belt of truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, you pick up the shield, the shield of faith, you put on the helmet of salvation, then there's only one offensive weapon that we have, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But that's all we need. Paul had gone through 
so many things. He bore on his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He and Paul and Silas at the midnight hour singing praises to the Lord. Paul being attacked by lions. Paul spending time in the a night and a day in the deep. Now he's in Caesar's prison. He's in bonds. And you know what he asked for? He didn't say, I wish I could have a lazy boy. Boy, if I had a lazy boy. Thank God for lazy boys. I, I've got one of them or two of them or three of them. Thank God for lazy He didn't say, if I had my pillow. Oh, I just need a my pillow. Would you get me a my pillow? I got to have it. I got to say that because I got one. He didn't ask for that, but you know what he asked for? He said, brethren, sistren, <laughs> pray for us. Pray for us. He says, pray for this. He says in verse 19, and for me, with all the battle that I'm in, with all that's going on around me, pray for us that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, this afternoon, in closing, pretty much, Paul asked them to do this for him. He said, I want you to pray for me. Now, I'm going to talk about Brother Mike and say, pray for him. Not about him, but pray for him. Now, why are you going to go there? You say, okay, yeah, I know what I need to do. I need to, I need to pray for his kidney to work. That would be nice. You may say, I need to pray for his brain to function. That would be miraculous, is what I'm thinking. But Paul said, here are the three things you can pray for me, and I believe in our world today, when we're wrestling not with just flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness on all different levels. I'm sure it's the same in Tonganoxie as it is in Jefferson City. There's battle, constant battle, that is taking place. That we're, And there have been so many times when I've walked in the pulpit to preach God's Word, and I could look at those people and think, you don't have a clue. As a pastor, the highlight of the week is when I got to open God's Word and say, Thus saith the Lord. And I never have had anything else to preach. And this is it. This is all. But I think about people that come to church, and the only reason they come to church is to go home. Now, you know, the weather gets bad, and we can't, we can't come today. The weather's bad. But I've never known anybody to say, well, the weather's bad. We're going to have to stay at church. No, it doesn't work that way. But basically, we want to park where we can get out. We want to hang our coat where we can get to it. We want to sit where we can hit the aisles. We come to church to go home. And the sooner the better. But when I stepped aside at Concord, I went through a three-month period where nobody asked me to preach. I'm serious, Mike. Nobody asked me to preach. And I'm sort of like, Lord, <laughs> I don't want to be put on the shelf. But I think God knew exactly what Monty Schenkel needed to do. 
And so I was going to churches, I was hearing people preach, I was sitting there listening, and I came to realize that the, pers- the, the totally different perspective of coming into the building and sitting and listening to this guy. For me, the biggest thing of the week was, I'm walking in the pulpit, I'm going to preach. And boy, listen, I felt the pressure of it, Brother Mike. I, I did. I thought, man, I've got to persuade these people. I've got to hold their attention. I've got to preach God's Word. I've got to do that. And they were all just sitting there like, hmm. when can we get out of here? But it's not like that as a pastor. And there are three things you can pray. Number one, Paul said, and for me that utterance may be given unto me. Now that is very important. That word utterance is the word word. It is the logos. It is the word. That I might have a word. And if you've ever tried to preach, or if you've ever been in a situation like that, you're just saying, Lord, give me a word. And even to a certain extent on the weekend where I'm visiting like this, and I don't know you people. Some of you I've met before, and I don't know you people. But I can tell you the primary thing that I was asking when I came here to preach this week is, what is the word that you need? What does God want me to share with you? And the only way that we can have when we stand up to preach, the only way we can have the message to give is if we have the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. You need to pray for your pastor that God would give him the word, that utterance may be given unto me, that a word, the logos, might be given unto me. It's been pointed out by a guy named Art Azurdia, who wrote a wonderful book on spirit-anointed preaching. He defined being filled with the Spirit this way. He said it is a sovereign and spontaneous act of God related to the proclamation of truth. And more than that, he goes on to say that the only time in the New Testament when it talks about somebody being filled with the Spirit It is for the proclamation of God's Word. Being filled with the Spirit is not so you can speak with tongues. It's not so that you could jump a pew or shout or any of those things. It's not so you have a bubbly feeling down inside of you. The fullness of the Holy Spirit in God's Word is so that the Word can be proclaimed. Now, there are several different instances of it. Elizabeth. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verses 39-45, when Elizabeth came into the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was filled with the Spirit and she spoke. When Zacharias said, call his name John, he was filled with the Spirit and he spoke. On the day of Pentecost, when they were all with one accord in one place, which someone said proves they weren't Baptists, when they were all with one accord in one place, and the Holy Spirit came with power upon them. Yes, they did speak in a tongue. It was not uh, glossolalia. It was not an unknown tongue. It was a tongue that they did not know. In other words, I can come here and speak Kansan, and you would understand it. Or, you know, and, and so that, that's what it was on that day. And so how do we every man, how do we hear every man's, 
own, in their own tongue they can understand. And somewhere between the mouth of the apostles and in the ear of the hearers, the gospel was proclaimed because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, being full of the Holy Ghost, stood and proclaimed and Peter again in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, and Peter again in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, along with John, they being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, filled with the Holy Spirit. When I heard that, when I heard Artaxerxes say that, I thought, I've never heard that before. That the fullness of the Holy Spirit is so that we would have the right word. And what did Paul say pray? You know, think about where he's going to go, what he's going to do, he's going to stand before, and he says, I know I need the right word. And we need the right word. Here's the second thing you can pray. He says in verse 19, that I may open my mouth boldly. There's a need for boldness in the midst of spiritual warfare. Holy boldness is required. It was so after Pentecost, and it is so today. It was so when John the Baptist stood before Herod, he stood there with boldness. Jesus was bold when he stood before the religious leaders of his day. Peter was bold when he was told not to mention his name anymore. But he said this, there's only, there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. I have to be bold to do that. Brothers and sisters, any man of God who stands in the pulpit today needs the boldness of the Holy Spirit. You need to hear God's Word. You look for a word from God through that man, through this man. You look for a word from God. But you don't want, you shouldn't want, as somebody said, a mild-mannered man telling mild-mannered men to be more mild-mannered. That's not the word we need today. And I'm not saying when you come to church, you don't want somebody beating you up all the time. That's not it. Now, that may be what some of you need, but that is not it. What you want is the Word from God, and you want it opened with His mouth to be opened with boldness in such a way that, that delivers the Word of God. In our day, we could say, will we be bold or will we go along to get along? The church must not be silent in the sins of our day. Neither the sins of our own people that are seated in our churches. If we condemn sin on the outside, if we get angry with sin on the outside, then uh, and we don't deal with sin on the inside, we are of all men hypocrites. We can't do that. And so we have to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. And that's what God has called us to do. Boldness in the church. We talk about Christ-likeness and self-control and deal with immorality. And Oh, by the way, talk about the way we deal with each other on the internet. Talk about our internet posts. Talk about our internet uses. This is the strangest thing that every Sunday just before I'm getting up to preach, I get a thing that comes on my phone that tells me how much time I spent last week on, on, on the whole thing. And I'm like, I don't need to see this because if I'm spending more time, and I am, I'm spending more time on the goofy phone than I, or, or on my uh, uh, iPad, I'm spending more time there than I do spending time reading God's Word. It's a stark reminder. But it's not just how much time we spend there. It's what we say to each other and what we say about each other. And folks, God can't be pleased with 
a lot of the things that we post these days. It's a lack of discipline. It's a failure to witness. Or forsaking the gathering of the saints because the chiefs are playing. Uh, just, I'm bold. I'm bold. He's already said you're not taking up a love offering, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> or it's about will a man rob God? Or a woman rob God? Or it's about holding hard feelings to say, well, you know, if they're going out that door, I'm going out that door. I don't want to have to talk to those people and deal with them. I don't want to be right with, I don't have to be right with those. Or about living for yourself. I'm just simply saying that the man of God today, we are in a precarious situation. So many things have changed. And yet, in many ways, nothing has changed. Because Paul said, pray that I would have the right word to speak and pray that I would open my mouth with boldness. And then he said this, to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, the gospel is a mystery. We wish we could be more clear. We wish we could make it plain. And this is really the tension. I want people to understand what I'm saying. It's important that they understand I believe so much in the work of the Holy Spirit, and you do too, I really believe that, that you know that there comes that one day, David, where's that one song, or there's that one text, or the preacher stands with that one word, And it's like, a, it's like the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right down to the separating of the bone from the marrow, right down into it. And it's not what the preacher did or the singer did or the teacher did or anything. It's that, it's that day when suddenly the mystery of the gospel, I wish I could put it in the words I want to put it in, but suddenly it's like, <laughs> Eureka! I see it! It suddenly it makes sense. Maybe it's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It's the moving of God, the person's heart. But there's that one day when there's that one song, that one word, that one sermon, that one invitation, when suddenly the mystery of the gospel, and it is a mystery, a, a mysterious thing. I try in my life to not offend people. Because I've discovered something. I don't want to offend people in, in my, my dress. I'll wear a coat and tie in the morning. I don't care what you wear. I wear a coat and tie because my mom, <laughs> she always thought a Baptist preacher worth his salt ought to wear a white shirt and tie on Sunday morning. And I do it. Mom's been gone a long time, but I do it. And I, I, that's, that, that's just, I'm going to live a long life because I honor my mother and father, you know. But that's not it. I don't want to offend people in my dress, the way I dress. I don't want to offend people in, in what I say in my speech. I don't want to offend people with who I root for. I don't want to offend people in all of that. But this is what I do know. The gospel itself can offend a person. It has the power to do that. And it also is that which leads us to life. <laughs> 
The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those of us that are saved is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. That is the power of God. And so if the, I don't want to offend people, but if the gospel offends you, then brother, sister, be offended. But I'm looking for that mystery of the gospel. I'm looking for God to cut through that person's heart. It's like they've never understood it before, but I want it suddenly, suddenly, to have a heart that is broken open, to see that they need my need for Jesus. I mean... When I got saved, that's how it was happening. I was in the third row at Gratz Baptist Church, three rows back. And when the invitation was given, I didn't even, they didn't even get a, a word sung. I was already on my way to the altar because it was suddenly like I saw that I was lost and I needed to be saved. And I didn't get saved when I came to the altar or took the preacher's hand. I got saved and I took the first step. One step of obedience. And it was like everything was made clear. So it's the mystery of the gospel. It's, it's mysterious in the message. It really is. And it's mysterious in the way it works. Let me go close with this. It's not too early to quit, is it? Okay. So I was retiring. I was finishing up in 2021. David knows this. I don't know if I ever told him the story. But so the News Tribune, I mean, I've been a pastor in town for 30 years and I've been around. The News Tribune, which is that great metropolitan newspaper, uh, came out from Jefferson City to talk to me. They wanted to do an interview, a profile interview with me about being in Jefferson City and being a pastor. And so this young lady, who like she was about 12 or 13 years old, um, actually she'd been working for him for a long time, and she sat down in my office, and she just had a whole list of questions, things she wanted to ask me. And so when I get... You know, how in the world did you choose to be a minister, folks? If you're not called to preach, don't preach. There is a divine call on your life. So I was talking about how I got saved and all that, and I noticed the interest when I talked about how I came to Christ. And how the night I came to Christ, I just sensed that this is what God wanted me to do. And I mean, she was locked. Do you know when somebody is locked in? She was locked in. Not to write a news story, she was locked in. And so then I went ahead and talked to the, about the whole thing and always like, well, then, you know what, that, that's very interesting. And when I got finished, she said, well, I have really enjoyed this. This, this has been very insightful. I'm, I'm glad we had this chance to talk. And I said, you know what, I noticed something. I said, I noticed as I was going, we were talking about this, I noticed when I talked about my conversion experience that you really had some thoughts about that, some questions about it. And she said, yeah. And I said, has anything like that ever happened to you? And she said, no. I said, if I could show you how that could happen, would you be interested in hearing it? And she said, yes. And so I had the privilege to lead that young lady to Christ in my office. Now here's the point, folks. You can just say to someone, has anything like that ever happened to you? And people are not adverse to the gospel. It's when the Holy Spirit gives us the word, gives us the boldness, and then makes known the gospel. Opens it up so that people can understand. That's what you need to pray for this guy right down here. Every pastor desires this. 
that I might have the right word. It's not just like going out and figuring out what I'm going to preach today. It's not like doing a report, a stand-up report. It's not that. It's the word. It is the boldness. And it is the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit that feeds our souls, that cuts us open, and shows us what we need. All around us there are people that need Jesus. The woods are full of them. Dr. B. Gray Allison, who was my mentor and one of my mentors, I remember he would close a chapel service at Mid-America Seminary with words like this, Lord, help me see in those I meet on country road or city street, not just people passing by, but souls for whom Jesus came to die. May that be our prayer. Brother Mike.